0: Thanks for downloading this podcast from Healthcare Improvement Scotland. My name is Dr. Brian Robson and I'm the organisation's medical director. We regularly share new ideas and presentations from thought leaders in the fields of innovation, improvement and integration. In this podcast we hear from Sally Magnuson. Sally offers a powerful description of her mother's experience of advancing dementia and how care providers and families can learn to dramatically influence that experience. Sally describes how music and memory prompts could be a breakthrough intervention for patients and their families. Watch out for how Harry's memory comes to life when his memories are stimulated by music from his early life. It's truly amazing. Now, let's listen to our conversation with Sally. She's a writer, a broadcaster,
1: and a news anchorwoman on the flagship BBC news program, Reporting Scotland. Think Diane Sawyer in ABC World News, or Rosemary Barton of CBC in Canada, or Anne Doyle of RTE in the Republic of Ireland. Sally Magnuson has written extensively on a range of topics from children's, children's books on Horace the Haggis Hunter, to narratives on her family homeland of Iceland, or more recently on her family experience of dementia. Her best-selling memoir about her mother, Mamie, called Where Memories Go, Why Dementia Changes Everything, has been credited with improving awareness, knowledge, and understanding of this increasingly common condition. Welcome to QI Connect, Sally Magnuson.
2: Something like that. I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. Um, it's <laughs> lovely to be here and, and to be d- d- you know, invited to address you in, in such a very exciting way about something that's uh, rather taken over my life in the last few years ever since in fact my mother's life um, began to be taken over by the syndrome that we know as dementia. In 2014, as Brian was saying, I published the story of that dementia journey, where memories go, why dementia changes everything. And the reason I did that was to try and get across to policy and decision makers, to doctors and nurses and the institutions that train them, to politicians, to people within the caring professions, to academics, to those providing research grants, what this illness is actually like. To live through as a person and a family. And I, I wanted to suggest that if only we can develop ways of caring which focus on the individual and on nurturing every person's continuing potential and on keeping them connected to themselves and their loved ones as imaginatively as possible, we ought to be able to make of the whole thing, difficult though this illness is, something much less bleak and frightening. I wanted to help people to understand better how much families like mine long for healthcare professionals to work more effectively with each other and do more to come alongside them as partners in care. Families who nearly always know the patient best and in many cases are desperate to be able to support them better and keep them at home longer. My book and also the charity Playlist for Life which I'll talk about in a moment was born out of frustration over the times that this just didn't happen in the care of my mother. Being rushed into hospital with a broken hip, for instance, confused and anxious about where she was and all the strangers around her, but not allowed to have a daughter spend the night by her bedside and at least partly as a result ending up with full-scale delirium and a bigger health problem than she came in with. Our final consultation in the memory clinic that, that is etched on my own memory Told that since there were no drugs that could treat my mother's advancing condition, then there was nothing more that could be done. Nothing. Leaving us with nowhere to go and no props to hold on to. Now, the psychiatrist concerned, I have to make this absolutely clear, was in no sense a bad doctor, actually a very nice one. Merely one working within a system that placed, as far as I could see, no emphasis on getting to know my mother and finding imaginative ways of bolstering the strengths that remain to her, affirming the life that still flamed within her or encouraging her family in their devoted but often inept attempts to look after her. There she is there. My mother Mamie was a former journalist and writer, hands on mother five, earrings, daring, smart someone who made a later career of public speaking and uh, was the first to describe herself as a bit of a show off. Dementia changed her but she remained, and I came to believe this very strongly, she remained uniquely if not wholly herself to the end of her life, an individual with continuing likes and dislikes and tastes and prejudices and affections and hopes and for a long time if we were ready to see them and to find them and to celebrate them. Skills. In the course of about 12 years, the mixture of Alzheimer's and vascular dementia that was her particular lot affected that witty, confident, breezy, laid back personality. It stole her ability to express herself. For a writer, it was tough. But right to quite close to the end of her life, and this is very common with dementia, there were continuing joyous flashes of sharp wit and Breathtaking discernment. And in her case, I, I always love to remember this undiminished pleasure in puns. I remember very close to the end of that long dementia journey saying to her one day, the last time she'd ever managed to, oh, we managed to get her to, to my house, and she was sitting with her head in her hands virtually. We knew we weren't going to be able to bring her here again. But I said to her, Mum, would you like some music to make your spirits soar? She just looked up and said dryly, now, would that be S-O-A-R or S-O-R-E? <laughs> there you go. Not many months to go with her dementia and she could still do that. On a walk along the track at home one afternoon, again well into her dementia experience, I stopped to tie her coat more firmly against a sharp, sharp autumn breeze. The belt was too tight and she was, she was sort of trying to fiddle with it. And I said, I can unloosen it if you like. She looked up calmly. You know there's no such word as unloosen, don't you?" I murmured under my breath, "'Not so daft are you?' which she parried immediately with, as you may have thought, hitherto. One of those carefully literate constructions in which she took continued pleasure. For me, trying to help my mother to live as well as possible with dementia to the end of her life amid much that was frankly intensely difficult as time went on was about finding ways of continuing to connect with her. And to do that I had to turn my own thinking around in so many ways. Mostly like other families, I think I did it too late. Because nobody told me what might lie ahead. What would be the next hurdle once we've mastered this one. What not to do and say and assume. Nobody said, Look, yes, Yes, of course, there is progressive damage occurring to your mother's brain and her functionality is reducing all the time and she keeps repeating herself and so on. But have you any idea how much of her brain is still intact? Did you know, this is what I would like to have heard, that even in people who live with severe cognitive disability, there are millions and millions of neurons in the brain still working perfectly well. Did you know about the extraordinary fireworks that go off in our brains when we tap a foot to a piece of familiar music, which the most profoundly cognitively impaired and apparently out of it people will do, giving the lie to the idea that this person is somehow already gone? Have you considered not only what dementia is stealing but how much it's left intact for now? Shall we think together about ways in which this particular individual, your mother, might be helped to use what remains to her to make her life a bit better. What a difference that would have made to our family, and our lives and our mother's life. My mother, who was a remarkable wordsmith in her way, described the feeling of having dementia as being on a long road, getting further and further away from myself. We, her family, wanted to know how to meet her on that road, how to walk it with her, how to find ways of letting her flourish along the way, how to understand the landmarks we'd be meeting as we clocked up the miles. Instead of that, it seemed to us that all the social and medical supports at that time, and, and things have improved since then, but at that time conspired only to put her in a box marked dementia and keep her there. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, the American surgeon Atul Gawanda's book, Being Mortal, which is not about dementia at all actually, but but about how in his opinion doctors have lost their way rather in seeing medical treatment as the answer to everything. He concludes with the uncompromising statement, we've been wrong about what our job is in medicine. We think our job is to ensure health and survival, but really it's larger than that. It's to enable well-being. And Well-being is about the reasons one wishes to be alive. I believe there is much that can be done to make people on the long dementia journey wish to be alive, rejoice even to be alive at times. And Just about every one of them comes down to knowing them as individuals with continuing potential that can be tapped into and respecting their autonomy and their essential difference from anyone else in the universe. And that's Brings me to music. So much of my mother's functioning capacity began to go. The songs that she had gaily sung throughout her life and the instinctive harmonies with which she always laced them began to play an ever bigger part in how we looked after her. Songs she knew and that her children also knew through lifelong immersion, Hogmanay, always a big occasion in our house. And, you know, everything, everything from the ink spots to the sound of music, the hallelujah chorus to the northern lights of Old Aberdeen, gradually they became not just an excuse for a party as they always had been, but a conscious device, sometimes unconscious, but gradually a more and more conscious device to keep us connected to her and her to herself. They became a means by which we could hold her memories for her and sort of offer them back to her. When she was frightened in the bath, she could be calmed with somebody leaning over to sing it's a lovely day tomorrow. When she was downhearted and depressed, the Scots will like this but nothing produced a smile like you can, they shove your granny up a bus. <laughs> Worked every time. Some of the trickiest toileting moments could be eased by a swift delusion into how do you solve a problem like Maria who we went through a long sound of music period. Singing, you see, gave her the ability to produce words in the right order again, which made her feel exquisitely good. It allowed her instinctive and unlost harmonies, which she had always been able to do, to fill the room with pleasure for other people, which made her feel great. And singing seemed to bypass the damaged parts of her brain and make her feel, for those few moments and quite a while afterwards, herself again so that through music I learned that my mother remained capable of both returning unexpectedly and of being almost summoned back, and this is what is so important, almost summoned back from the long road in which she felt she was losing herself and we felt we were losing her on. Even when far off she could hail us from afar to shout, Here I am. You thought you'd lost me but here I am, back for a while. But even in the darkest hollows, near the very end of the road, it was sometimes possible to switch on a light. Those old songs made her feel safe in a world that had become literally unrecognisable and among people she could no longer quite place. Right to the end of her life it seemed to bring her alive and I now know through working with thousands of other people in care homes, hospitals and among families up and down the country that it's a virtually universal phenomenon. After my mother died in April 2012, I started the charity Playlist for Life to encourage everyone with dementia to make for themselves if they are diagnosed early enough or have a playlist of personally meaningful music made for them, either on a digital device with headphones as you can see in the people we've worked with here, which is a particularly good way of doing it for, for lots of reasons, or on a CD or just on a a list that others know how to play and sing for you. The important thing is that the music is personal to that person's life and it's shared and enjoyed as a connection point with others. The music can be anything. It can be TV theme tunes, it can be an old toothpaste advert, it can be a wedding hymn, a Christmas carol in July, anything from the soundtrack to a person's life. That can trigger memory and feelings of well being and familiarity. Now, The first thing we did was to ask a blameless care home in Renfrew if we could work with a few of their families. And we started with Margaret and Harry O'Donnell. They were the first couple that we were introduced with. Um, Harry was in a bad way, really, when we first met him uh, in that care home. Um, he had been in hospital, he'd gone. Hadn't been able to go home, gone straight into the care home, and had, as is often the case, no matter how good the care home, plunged downhill. He was hardly eating, he was barely drinking, he was very rarely saying a word, and his, his, his uh, wife Margaret left after each visit in tears. We helped Margaret create a playlist for her husband, and when we returned a few months later, this is what we found.
3: I just, I mean, I am so enthusiastic about it, I think it's fabulous.
4: Being able to see people connecting again, being able to see the person with dementia obviously focusing on their family member again. Just to see him
3: become the person he is that you can see today, it's just amazing.
4: And this is a remarkable change in the man that I first met around six months ago.
3: he came into us, he was quite a uh, withdrawn, retracted um, gentleman. Very pleasant, very nice, but he, he lacked the ability to be able to interact with anybody. He wasn't eating, wasn't drinking, couldn't get a spoon in his mouth. We wouldn't have given tongues for him at that time. Margaret got really upset, used to leave crying all the time, um, which upset us. he used to get us upset going into him, what else could we do?
4: We tried everything. Gradually, as we began to introduce Harry's playlist to him, he began to tap his hands and tap his feet and obviously was engaging with the music. And then he began to use words again. And this surprised not just me, but his wife. And gradually, what we've seen over the last few months of introducing Harry's playlist to him is he's changed dramatically.
5: mm mm-hmm.
3: and tried, we tried a lot of different things to bring him into the conversation and he was, was still the reactive and just lately because of the music, mm-hmm. definitely because of the music he has become the person he was before.
5: Mm-hmm. This is what Harry and I used to dance to when we met. Mm-hmm. We used to dance to this one when we met didn't we? Mm-hmm. At the singles club. Oh, I, aye. aye, aye. Mm-hmm. You used to sing
2: this, didn't you? I Mhm. I see,
3: aye. <laughs> And that's when I feel for you, isn't it? Yes. It's been wonderful to watch the transformation from Harry from being somebody with a really severe dementia. He still has a severe dementia, but the fact that he can now interact with his wife when the music is on he sings along he sings along very unprompted doesn't really need a lot of um, encouragement to do it and he's got a smile at the great hearts it's absolutely
2: amazing tell me this can can you be sure that the kind of transformation that you're describing is actually down to the personal playlist for life that was introduced
3: Without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, because it's very specific music for him. Now, before we could possibly have looked at some of the, the medication that Harry would have been on um, to brighten him up a little bit, to maybe try to get him to interact a bit more. It's so much better than a chemical chemical intervention. Um, that This doesn't cost anything to do and we've got Harry back for nothing.
5: Hi.
2: When he hears that,
5: he knows that there's been something in his past that's it's related to, you know, and well, if if it wasn't, he wouldn't be able to sing them, you know. uh, Oh, that's
4: true. It's a very moving thing to see sometimes and I, I must confess i have had a tear often in my eye when I've seen two people who have probably not connected greatly for, for a number of months or even years but to see them actually looking at each other yeah. and I mean really looking at each other, that making a connection with each other and yeah. that's been very moving, yeah. yeah.
5: You mean,
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> We all have a playlist of our life. We've all had music that has been meaningful to us. So if we can help people to find that playlist and to be able to use that playlist in a way that enables them to connect with those memories and connect with their loved ones again, it's available to everybody. We could all do this. <laughs>
5: Late subject major a bit
2: different. <laughs> well, apologies that it was a little bit out of sync, but I think you uh, got the idea there. Um, and the interesting thing for us was that that improvement continued every time one of us went back to see Harry. He was attempting bigger conversations. He was correcting information at one point staying involved and the improvement of course which um, it, it was a virtuous circle that led to better eating and drinking um, and uh, became became a, a cumulative improvement in his condition and just as wonderfully Margaret actually told us um, later not so long ago because um, Harry did die uh, last year but, but um, Margaret told us that she had through enjoying their music together like that, she had fallen in love again with the man she had married. She was tremendously moving and I was, I was reading some of the, the comments and questions that were coming through, through that um, and noting that um, somebody had that uh, experience with their grandmother. We just see it replicated um, all the time, all over the place. Um, I can tell you just a little bit about what we're doing as a, as a charity since then we've've uh, we've developed a comprehensive training pack for health and care professionals in how to integrate personal music into care uh, we don't underestimate um, how how busy care homes are and how difficult it is to innovate um, you know with, within the kind of structures that, that they have there but we have uh, developed a, a training package that, that helps people to uh, introduce personal music into care plans and we're delivering it in, in care homes and to care work to key workers up and down the country. While for those at home, we're developing a, a grassroots network of community hubs in churches, libraries, and voluntary organisations to spread the word. Last year, we made direct contact with more than 21,000 people with dementia, their families, and carers. we taught them music detective skills to help find the right music for someone who may not be able to. Because we believe very strongly that, that it's the personal nature of the music. Um, music has uh, a benign influence um, in, in any case. I think has been shown by in the scientific evidence. But when it is personal, it gives people that um, that feel-good feeling that, that we all recognise when we uh, when we suddenly hear music that's mattered to us in the past. We also trained 1,600 health and care professionals to start using playlists with people they care for. Um, Here very briefly summarised are are just some of the outcomes that we've been seeing. People with uh, dementia, the first key outcome here really is that, that more and more people with dementia, this plague of our times, are able to access their memories or at least the feeling of happiness and rootedness that goes along with them. And this helps to restore, for periods at time, their sense of identity and belonging, reduces their isolation and enhances their well-being. Our evaluations also describe cases, and I noticed that this was mentioned um, in, in the conversation. Um, they also describe cases of improved continence and suggest a reduced number of falls. It's fascinating to see this; that this is being researched uh, in other places now because it's something that we we have noticed, but we haven't. Um, been able to do any more than preliminary evaluations on. Um, We have two PhDs on the effect of playlists for life in care homes being done now, uh, one at the University of the West of Scotland and one at Glasgow Caledonian University. But The evidence in front of our eyes is so overpowering that already physicians in Scotland are beginning to prescribe a personal music intervention in place of drugs for agitation. Where appropriate. Not long ago we learned that a GP practice in Cercatilla, which is a small town near Glasgow, had begun this kind of prescription in one of the care homes that Phyllis for Life has trained in how to embed it into a care plan. And the GPs did that because they saw the effect it was having on their patients. Um, a patient in Lilyburn's care home who has been on two doses of a very strong sedative, lorazepam, every day for agitation, she's about 60 a month, that's a lot, was given her own music instead at the times that staff knew that she struggled and when she might normally have been expected to need a sedative. When my colleagues went back to be given the update that enables us to to certify that care home, they were told she'd gone three weeks without medication of any kind and her family were our family were just over the moon at being able to talk to her again. She wasn't zonked out of her mind but listening to her music, singing along and responding to them. So I think and and hope that playlists for Life will increasingly be part of the movement that the chief medical officer in Scotland, Dr Catherine Calderwood, has called realistic medicine and that wherever we have trained residential homes where staff understand how to integrate personal music into care plans. What times of day to offer it to mitigate symptoms and reduce or preempt agitation, for instance, then we might see doctors following suit. A couple of weeks ago, actually, I was told by um, someone on the board of a care home we'd uh, trained up in the northeast of Scotland in Murray. Um, we'd trained them a few months previously, and he, he couldn't wait to tell me that he had personally seen the lives of some residents transformed, as he put it by their access to personal music. Now I have to say that transformation is not a word I use much myself in relation to dementia. I'm cautious about hyperbole at the best of times and my own experience taught me that while my mother could well seem transformed one day, we could just as easily find her transformed right back the next, but this man was talking about residents who had been slumped in a chair all day, now being capable of engagement. Dull eyes brightening, dead feet tapping. It seemed to him like a transformation, and it's the same effect I think as I um, described earlier as being like the switching on of the light. The second group to benefit are we find family carers, um, our evaluations show they experience a sense of renewed closeness and connection with their loved one helping to relieve their stress and improve their well-being, and you just need to remember Margaret's face in that video to see it. Families at home find they can structure their loved one's day around music. Visitors to care homes have a focus for their visit and something to talk about. And here's the third key outcome: care staff and health professionals are better able to provide person-centred care that recognises individual needs and preferences of people with dementia thereby reducing people's loneliness and indeed improving their own self esteem and enjoyment of their work. This is something we hear again and again and and it's self evident in a way. It's more rewarding to look after someone you feel you can actually make smile, whose agitation you can reduce without just handing out drugs, who make you feel that your job is worth it. Ultimately, we uh, we do want governments to recognise those benefits that, increasingly, uh, doctors, nurses, carers, occupational therapists, the regulatory body, the Care Inspectorate in Scotland—you name it—can see in front of their eyes. And um, to do that, though, we do need to, to produce a robust evidence case. And to that end, as Brian was mentioning at the beginning of the session, we've partnered with the. Internationally renowned Centre for Dementia Prevention at the University of Edinburgh to develop a major study into the playlist for life intervention. This is presently being scoped. And the initial thinking uh, so far is that it might well be done through the GPs. But two thirds of people with dementia are not in the formal system. They live at home, it can be hard to reach. One third of them Live alone. And these are the people we're also very keen to reach with the message that music can help. Because, you know, whenever I give a, a, a talk like this, for every person who tends to say to me afterwards, you know, music helped my loved one too, I know exactly what you're talking about, there's usually, sadly, another two or three who say, oh, I wish I'd known, and it's now too late. So we've developed an app to help people get started at home. It was tested by people with dementia and their carers, it's very simple to use and it will help users to find and enjoy the music that's been the soundtrack to their lives and relive emotions connected to it. Um, It's not perfect yet to download the music at the moment, you do need a Spotify premium account although we're working on other possibilities for future versions. Um, because we would prefer it to be completely free at the moment. Also, it's only available on Apple devices, but we're looking to raise the money to put it on Android as well. We've also piloted playlists for Life hubs in existing centres, you know, like libraries and churches, as I mentioned, right at the heart of communities to get the message out and supply information support. So our hubs are designed to tell everyone in a community that music can help in time for them to get started in playlists for themselves and their loved ones now and to provide health, help and support as they do it. These playlists can then be carried with them into residential care at whatever point their condition may require it. So let me just say, uh, it's about time I wound up here, Um, let me just say in conclusion that I'm absolutely not trying to pretend that personal music is a panacea. There are no panaceas for dementia, of course not. But it can, and as more and more people are discovering, it does help to make life a bit better for folk with this terrible illness as it did for my mum. And that I would suggest is what the families of people with dementia are crying out for. Just something to make the people they love feel a bit better. Drugs can't do this not the ones we have at the moment, but human connection can. And music, the music that takes you back, gives that human engagement a focus, bringing moments of happiness and flashes of joy, a structure to visits, a means of getting through difficult points in the day and whiling away long hours, a way to bring people back and together, and what could be more precious.
0: Well, thanks to Sally for a great QI Connect talk. And if you want to hear how the questions went or Sally's reflections on her talk, then you can get the full recording on the Healthcare Improvement Scotland website or YouTube.